Hey folks, I'm Bernice Chow, host of Agents in Advertising. This is a podcast where we talk about the challenges agents face in their daily lives and in their career. Today we have Dan Matthews, also known as Dan, aka Dan, a content producer at International Secret Agents. Welcome, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm very excited to be on this podcast. I was really thrilled when you and Jessalyn asked me to do it because this is the first one that I've heard about that's like an Asian-American-focused podcast about being in advertising and marketing, and it's an area that I'm extremely interested in. And so meeting you guys over the last year has been very eye-opening for me. And so I'm just, yeah, just really happy to be here. So what do you do at International Secret Agents? I'm a content producer at International Secret Agents. I'm also a partner there. And then we focus on uh, producing content and doing marketing advertising campaigns for companies that have an Asian American, Asian tilt. Oh, very cool. Can you tell us about a couple of the campaigns you worked on? Yeah, we actually just wrapped up something that I was super proud of. We got to work with Hennessy, and we did their Mid-Autumn Moon Festival. And to be a part of the team that got to bring that to life, I thought was really interesting. And so we get to do a lot of really cool projects that are with brands that help them tailor their messaging towards Asian Americans in a better way, in a more culturally sensitive way. And I think that being able to work on stuff like that with them and companies like McDonald's and Knorr and AT&T has been really super fun because not a lot of companies have been able to really tap into the Asian American market. And we've been able to, I think, help them direct their strategy in a, a good way. So how do they find you guys? We usually go through, there's other companies that we work with. And so there's other specifically Asian American advertising companies that already have those relationships. And so we have relationships with those companies and they bring us on to help manage or consult or do some of the campaigns. And are you working with their internal creatives? It's a, it's a mix of both. And I think maybe this is somewhat of the heart of our conversation, which is I've got no idea what the traditional route is to do any of that stuff. But we've been able to be at the heart of a lot of these conversations where we get to write up the stories, we get to concept, we get to pitch ideas, and we get to bring it to life through producing it. So that's been really awesome. And most importantly, I think that because of our backgrounds and for the people that are my partners for the company, they have very specific eyes towards the Asian, Asian American identity. And I think that we've been able to help these companies tell more accurate stories because of that. Can you tell us more about your partners? Yeah, my partners are this group called Wong Fu Productions and then Far East Movement. And then Wong Fu Productions, basically they've been digital pioneers since about 2005, 2006. They've been uploading videos that kind of speak to the Asian American experience. They became really big on YouTube. And because they were at the forefront of that, they were able to kind of make a, a legacy name for themselves and really, I think, build and shape the digital community. And then Far East Movement, who are big musicians. They were the first Asian-American group to ever get a number one Billboard hit through their song, Like a G6. And I met both of them around the same time. And because we were all kind of coming up together, we were all really passionate about what we were doing, telling accurate Asian-American stories that we kind of all aligned and came together and collaborated. Can I ask how you met them? I met Far East on MySpace. And I found them back in 2006 because I was just looking for like cool Asian American music. And then I found them on, actually it was on a site called AsianRaps.com, which was at the very beginning of the internet. And so they were on there posting their music and then they were on MySpace. And this was at a time that MySpace was, was pretty big. And then I hit them up on MySpace and I brought them out to my college to perform for $500. And they came down. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And they were so good. They were so good. And so I was like really inspired by meeting them there. And then through them, 
I actually met the Wang Fu guys because they were partnering up on projects and they had met each other because at that time they were some of the bigger figures that were Asian American on, in, in the digital world. And so they had met each other and then they put me in touch with the Wang Fu guys. Wang Fu actually went to school in San Diego too, where I went to school. So we had an instant connection because of that. And we met through 3AF. What are they doing? Like, what is their goal for the next year or kind of looking forward? So 3AF, if I can be a huge advocate for it, is they've really been around for a really long time. They got together in late 80s, early 90s, when Asian advertising was really just beginning. And it was the heads of all of these different Asian-specific advertising agencies that came together to advocate for better representation for Asian Americans in, in the advertising world. And so back in the day, especially like in the 90s, early 2000s, that I think that they were really good media watchdogs to if there were bad portrayals of Asians or if, if companies needed better assistance to more culturally advocate, that they could be there to help them people do that. Now we're in a different place where I think that uh, especially with like what's been going on over the last last year that they now they have to be a little more political. They have to be even more on the advocacy side to make sure that as we're currently going through a lot of these really intense conversations that it happens uh, appropriately. So anyway, the short of it is that they're working on advocacy stuff behind the scenes and uh, they're currently getting ready, I think, for our next conference. It's going to be coming up, hopefully in person, where uh, people can come on out and learn more about how to more properly advertise to the Asian American community. I want to get into your Asian American culture, your heritage, your story. I know you have a really interesting story to share with us. Yes. The brief background of myself is that I'm a Korean adoptee and that I had the opportunity about eight years ago where I went back to Korea and I actually got a chance to meet my biological family. And then typically for a lot of people that aren't necessarily aware of the Asian American adoptee experience, it's it's extremely difficult to ever make a reunification, to ever meet your biological family. So I got very lucky that I was able to uh, be able to get connected with them. And not only were they still around, but they were still married. And I found out that I had siblings, including an I identical twin brother that I never knew about. And so meeting him at that time was groundbreaking for me because you're literally seeing yourself for the first time. You're seeing your, your blood for the first time. And I had never thought that that would have ever happened in a million years. It's like one of those fairy tales that they tell you at, at a young age. Did your siblings know that you were in America? No, they, they didn't know I existed until I met them at that time. They found out, I think, two weeks before I, I came onto the scene. So it was a shock for both you guys at the same time? I think so. It was probably a bigger shock for them, too, because they'd really gone their whole life not knowing, it, the, just thinking it was the two of them. And so I've got a biological sister, too. But for me, I'd always assumed that there was family probably out there, never a, a twin brother or anything. But uh, I, I knew that that was a possibility. And then you also have a sister here. I do. I've got an ad adopted sister here. And she is three years younger than I am. Korean adoptee, too. So you just times two on your entire family. Yes. Yeah, which makes me feel very confused. But also, it's one of those things that not a lot of people have to think about. Thinking about having different biological family out there. It, it does make you really question what family is. And I think that it's really expanded my thought of what family is. Because if I could meet somebody that's technically my blood... 28 years after I've been alive and they're suddenly so close in my life. Obviously, people that aren't blood related to me are still family. And so like I've got friends that are family. I just everybody family is what you make of it. I love that. I think family is who you choose to be your family, right? Yeah. Who you let in. A billion percent. Yeah. Yes. So with that, you've told many stories. 
not even your just your own. You actually went on a journey with five other people as well. And you actually came out with two documentaries yeah. with a ton of news coverage. It was very cool to see your interviews on NBC, BBC, MSNBC. Am I forgetting any more of those? All, all of the C's. Thank all you. All the C's, Korean Today. I was like, very, wow, so you. many interviews, <laughs> so much press coverage. And it was really neat how you captured all the different ways that this adoptee viewpoint would come out, right? What does that look like for this person who is now in Denmark and is so different than your story? And it isn't one story. It isn't just like one way you would come out with this. There's so many different permutations and stories. Yeah, I, I think that so we put out a second documentary of the first one where we focused on four other adoptee stories from other parts of the world. And I think that I knew that if I had an interesting story that everybody else has an even more interesting story than I do. And we really did hone in on that. We got some really great content that we were able to capture that I think really helped tell other adoptee stories. And I was really excited about that because if people can see their experience reflected and maybe not necessarily a positive way, but if as, as long as you're seeing your experience reflected in some way, you know that you exist and that you're important within the world. And media really helps you do that. And I think that that actually, that's like why it's so important for people to see themselves represented in advertising because they're like, oh, I exist. Oh, McDonald's has an Asian person in their commercial. McDonald's cares about Asian people. I guess I like I'm important because some of these brands are they're as American as apple pie. They've been around in America for like generations. And so to have... A, an American uh, icon recognize you, whether or not you're, I know that there's complicated feelings about a lot of that stuff, but it, it does help you feel like that you exist in America. And so that's why I think that like telling these different stories is important. Yeah, it can be incredibly lonely when you're thinking that you're going through something alone and no one else can relate. It's that relatability is so important just to be like, yeah. okay, what I'm feeling is valid. When you're feeling like you're the only person going through something, yeah, it's really hard. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's something that's very deep within the adoptee experience that we really feel like that we're alone a lot of the times. Not alone because obviously there's there's millions of adoptees out there around the world, but yeah, really alone with the experiences that we grow up with because even if we're adopted living in America, all of us come from different backgrounds. We all live in different places. And I think that makes us feel like even if when we meet other adoptees that we're still way different than their experience. We're still way different than whatever that, the, the norm is. So I also saw that you had a White House initiative with this. Can you tell us more of that? Yeah, that was, I, I think that I've just been very lucky that a lot of my experience and story is just right place, right time. And that the White House experience was super cool because we got to create content for the Asian American, it's uh, WAPI, the White House Initiative on Asian American Pacific Islanders. So we got to go out to the White House during Obama's last year and then be there during Asian Heritage Month to be able to amplify what they were doing at the White House, which was super cool because not only did it mean that somebody from the White House was like looking at the stuff that we were putting out, but that we got to go out and experience that. We got to, and I got to, what I really enjoy about what it is that I do is that I myself might not necessarily be the most knowledgeable person or like really be the best voice or the best platform to be able to get out some of this stuff. But I've got really good people that are just generally good people that that are better at doing that stuff. And so it was cool because they gave me the opportunity to select people that were in our community that I thought would be great ambassadors for that. And then I brought them out. We got to do a tour of the White House, which was awesome. And then we got to meet some really like powerful Asian Americans that were working for the White House at that time. And again, it's one of those things where 
I had no idea that the Asian Americans like worked for the White House. At the time, the Obama's lead chef was a, a Filipino woman. And so it was so cool being able to see that. And that I think that having the people that were with us being able to amplify that makes you feel more connected to America. And so that was really a, a huge privilege to be able to like be there during that time. You have so many achievements. It's incredible how humble you are. So what's next? Well, if I can maybe reply to what you just said, and that although I'm humble about it, it really comes from an experience of that, and I truly mean this, I agree that I think there are some things that are definitely attributable to my own perseverance and just staying with, with where I'm at. But I think a lot of what I've really learned, though, is that some of the stuff that happens with us getting into advertising, getting into whatever the careers are that we just happen to like get into... I'm not working any harder than anybody else. It's like currently doing cool stuff. I just happen to have been in the right place for whatever that, that thing was. And so to anybody else that's out there that's trying to pursue advertising or content creation or like entertainment or what, whatever it is, that you're going to have a lot of really cool opportunities too. And that you're probably working as hard as I am. I, 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 I consider myself like I'm probably, I'm, I'm not working any harder than anybody else is. So you're on a bunch of other projects, some personal projects. Can you talk about your music? Yeah, I do music too. It's another one of those things where I just got really lucky. And again, I can't believe that I've been able to do it for the last X amount of years. There's not a lot of opportunities to be a musician at all and have it being something that I could accurately and, and, and honestly say that I've been able to like live my life as a, a musician the last 15, 16 years has been incredible. And to be able to have people that have listened to my music is incredible. Like I can't believe it. I wasn't able to perform over the last year and a half because of COVID, but I really want to make up for lost time over the next year. So that's really, I think, where a lot of my focus goes is trying to honor that as much as possible. How can people find your next album? Find me on Spotify, Dan, a.k.a. Dan, D-A-N, a.k.a. Dan. And then really quick, the a.k.a. stands for also known as, but obviously, but it's actually a term of endearment within the adoptee community. And I didn't purposely call myself Dan, a.k.a. Dan at the beginning. Honestly, that was a lazy thing. But it ended up being kismet. Is kismet the right word for it? Where like things are just end up working out the way it needs to be? Anyway, it was kismet. And so basically, I found out later on that Adoptees really heavily use the, the term AKA because you're your Korean side, you're your adoptee side, but you're also whatever the other side is of you. And then also it stands for adopted Korean American. And so it was just amazing that it just happened to work out. So you had AKA Dan first, and yeah. then you realized it meant all these other things that just yeah. happened to totally resonate with your identity. Yeah, totally. So it just you couldn't plan that. So I want to cover one more thing here, and that's your Asian culture challenge. I'm going to try to talk about something and this is the first time that I've said this out loud. So I don't know if it's going to work out in the way that I, I'm hoping. And if not, maybe we'll re-record a different challenge. But I, I want to like say this out loud, though, because it's something that I think about as myself as an Asian in advertising to like bring it back to where we're currently at, which is that I think we're living the challenge right now and that there's a lot of attention on Asian, Asian-American media, a lot of attention on being Asian in the advertising industry, which comes with a lot of great benefits. People are focusing on us more. There's more money to put towards Asian Americans. They're casting more Asian Americans in stories. But the challenge is how do you do that authentically? How do you make sure the Asian community doesn't disrupt itself, doesn't implode upon itself? Because there's a lot of things that are currently happening where it's the first time people are seeing stuff happen. And that there's going to be a lot of mistakes that, that happen throughout that. You're not going to get the commercial. You're not going to, when a brand first focuses on the Asian American experience, it's probably not going to be good. 
And there's going to be a lot of really negative things that, that come out of this experience. And because our community is so small, this is a unique challenge to our community. And like we were talking about before, we're really only 3%, 6%, I think it's 6% of the population. And within that, Koreans are like, I don't know, I really should know these facts, but like like 0.05%. Chinese are like 2%. South Asians are like 2%. Anyway, so we're in a unique place where because our, our community is so small and there's not that many of us that are actually doing it, that there's more... Our failures are bigger within our community than other... Because we have less people to like balance it out against, if that makes sense. Anyway, so I think that we're currently living through that challenge. And I think that we've... Uh, behind the scenes, I've had a lot of really intense conversations and a lot of interesting things that have popped up with people that are having to rectify with a lot of those things and making sure that at the end of the day, because what is it's tough to deny advertising is is commercialization of of our identity to sell you something that hopefully you're going to want to buy. And there's nothing truly um, spirit like it, it's kind of like gross in in a weird way. And I say that, but like, I'm also like, I'm super in it. Like, and I understand that. So like, I'm not like talking down on that experience. Cause like, this is what I do. This is what you do. But I think that we're having to like, have really difficult conversations to like, figure all that out right now. And I think that that's going to be a very challenging thing and we're, we're not out of it yet. So I'm interested to see what happens. I think for me, I'm really excited that, yeah, maybe we're a little tokenized right now still, right? Oh, you have to have one of each color and then everyone's balanced. And maybe we'd be hypersensitive that when we do write a character, an Asian person has to look at that script and what that person's personality is like. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like first time we're finally even there, right? We're finally even in the room that I hope that this starts getting visibility for more people, more understanding, more kindness across the board. Yeah. So, you know, as much as last year was really rough for Asians, I'm so hopeful for the future looking forward about, like, what's going to be better now? How are we all going to get involved? And what are those opportunities? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's why, like, I like having these conversations with you and Jessalyn and uh, because there's a lot of nuance to it. And we're not people aren't naturally nuanced. And so, um, yeah, I completely agree. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for coming in today. For everyone that's interested, definitely check out Dan's music on Spotify. But thank you so much for coming in today and to talk to you about your career and your journey. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bernice. I really appreciate the opportunity. You guys keep on doing what you're doing. And yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to learn more, visit us at AsiansInAdvertising.com. And we'd really appreciate it if you can rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.